Hello, hello, hello! I am Graham Heiss, and welcome to Life in the Slaughterhouse. I'm here with... Tim Regan and... Raymond O'Neill. Alright, this is going to be part one of three. Uh, we're going to be going through chapters one through three of Slaughterhouse Five. And so it goes. A brief message from our sponsors. Hello out there, everybody. We'd just like to put a big thank you out there to Pizza Hut for making the pizza that they do because it is so delicious. Thank you and have a good day. Alright, hello everybody. We're going to be talking today. We're going to be going through the first part of our podcast. Um, that's going to be talking about the effects of soldiers after war. Um, specifically his effects, um, himself. Um, so we're going to be talking about different things. Um, first of all, when he first comes into it, it's kind of like um, he was first off brought into this war and then he, he like didn't know really what, what it was all about and then he kind of came back into it and then he's like, now it's like the actual, the setting is in the present and what he's mm -hmm. doing, what he's thinking about. So, I mean, he's, he's wants, he wants to write this book about Dresden. He wants to write this book about the, the bombing of Dresden. And that's his thing. Yeah. And so he, some, some of it, mainly it's, it's a lot of him trying to remember stuff and him being like, you know, he does do a, kind of a quote. He says, I thought the kindest and funniest ones, the ones who hated the war the most, were the ones who really fought. And those are the people who kind of fought the most. So... Mm -hmm. I, um, uh, if I had to add to that, I would also mention, uh, <clears throat> he called up one of his, uh, war friends and he was saying, Hey, I'm gonna be writing this book and I'm, I need, uh, help remembering things. I need you to, uh, give me some details about stuff. And the guy just sort of goes, I don't remember much, but I'll do it. <clears throat> and in addition to that, uh, it was interesting because um, our uh, narrator seems to be uh, speaking to him and saying, this should be our climax, and we should have, um, we should uh, focus it all around this one thing. And the other person doesn't seem too eager to uh, speak on it. He just says, that's your trade, not mine. It, uh, <clears throat> it's uh, pretty interesting to be seeing this and then uh, comparing that to what, um, in uh, the next few pages of the book, we'll be hearing about Billy Pilgrim, who seems to remember uh, his war experiences very vividly. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it might have to do a lot with his wife, because um, when he goes to meet his friend, it seems like he doesn't want to talk about it a lot, because his wife explains that she, well, she doesn't really go into a lot of detail, but she um, doesn't like to talk about the war or try and remember it or hear about it at all because it's just going to bring up bad memories and uh, may it could be because he doesn't want to cause any um, harm for his wife or maybe it could be very hard to remember. It, uh... Well, I think it was like when she was in the kitchen, she was kind of like, you know, getting them, you know, she like, she said that he doesn't drink anymore, you know, his, her husband. And that's maybe because like, she kind of like, kind of like made him stop for the children. And so she's obviously very protective about these children. And so when they start bringing up war and like the past and the war, it's like, she's like, no, 
Stop talking about this. I don't want you guys remembering it. Because if you guys remember it and you guys write about it, there's going to be heroes in movies and everyone's going to want to fight off in war. And you know who's going to be fighting off is going to be my kids. My kids are going to be getting killed and fighting off in the war. And so she was worried about that. Do you think that uh, in, uh, as- in asking uh, him to do that and uh, silencing him, it's actually hurting him because he clearly needs to speak about this. He needs to uh, recall these experiences and he needs other people to know about it because this sort of thing, it shouldn't be brushed under the rug. It shouldn't be forgotten. He wants to make it remembered and he sort of needs... To do that. And he needs, like, the sympathy because he's been through so much with this. He needs someone he can talk to about it. And if... His uh, wife, like the main person in his life, the person he should be able to confide in, is saying she doesn't want to hear about it. He's just internalizing all of this, and he's going to be taking everything to heart. It's going to be very difficult for him to get over that, and that might uh, be what can cause issues for him later. Yeah, I think that the main, the guy who's writing the book, you know, his buddy's wife is obviously the one who's doing that. But, like, I think he kind of, like, chills around. He's like, you know what? I don't want this to be remembered as something famous. I don't want this to go up, and I don't want this to be a movie. I just want to write it because I need to write it. I feel it, you know, because like he, like the, the, the main person is an actual writer, so he's he's written tons of books and he's got mm-hmm. his own publisher and everything like that. So he's kind of like, you know what? I don't want this to be one of my remembered books. I just need to write it. It's something I got to get out of me before I can continue on my writing journey. I think that's a big part of it too. Yeah, I um, I also noted uh, when reading, uh. Vonnegut seems to jump topic to topic very quickly. Like, one moment he's uh, talking about, uh, like, calling up old girlfriends on the phone. Yeah. And then just a few um, sentences after that, it's he's talking about his dog, Sandy, and saying how he loves uh, his dog. And that sort of writing sort of continues uh, throughout the book. And it's very prevalent in the... Um, uh, and when they're talking about uh, war, because um, it's it switches from like this person is marching up a hill and they're getting cow's feet and they're being beaten and all that to now you're an eye doctor in the city and you're just examining someone's eyes. It's mundane and you fell asleep, and it sort of adds chaos and it, it sort of freaks out the reader a little bit and. Yeah. Sort of, it gets them really thinking. Jumpy. It's, and it's all over the place. It makes you excited to be reading this, and it sort of instills, um, I guess, an adrenaline rush that uh, you would feel in some of these experiences. Yeah, I think that he's going from one place to the other. He doesn't want to get caught in one place too long. You know, I think mm-hmm. he's just going to keep moving, you know, and, that, and that's what it's all about for him. In chapter one, especially, he's going to keep moving and jumping around. So we're going to switch to our commercial break, and we'll be right back, guys. You Thank you. Quick shout out to the Converse Company for making their shoes so relaxing and comfortable. I don't know what I'd do without Converse, but I'd probably walk barefoot. Thank you, and goodbye. Hello everybody, welcome back to uh, Life in the Slaughterhouse. We're going to be going through Chapter 2 right now and discussing it a little bit. Um, so, a couple things in, in Chapter 2. is It's mainly about Billy's life, so... The author goes into this this guy named Billy and kind of introduces him, 
and uh, goes in through his life. And um, this guy named Billy, he was he was a war veteran and stuff like that. So it goes through how he grew up, how his life was, you know, the interests of his life. His father died when he was a younger person. So and he, he also married pretty early um, and went into optometry. Opt- Optometry. Optometry, yes, of course. Now, I would add, you're leaving out the most important part about Billy Pilgrim. He was abducted by aliens. Yes, that's a big part. Um, not only did he get into his, you know, father-in-law's business, but he also, he, he did some, some weird, so he had a plane crash and he ended up... Um, he uh, sustained an injury uh, during the plane crash and uh, after that... Uh, he ended up uh, getting his own uh, radio show dedicated just to talk, I believe, mm-hmm. and uh, he started claiming that he had been um, abducted by Tralfamadorians. Yes. And um, <clears throat> we notice uh, one very key thing about what he says about the Tralfamadorians, which is when people die regarding death, they just say, and so it goes. And uh, a recurring theme in this book is any time that death seems to be involved, he says, so it goes afterwards. Um, based on that, I think that the Tralfamadorians uh, see death as it's not as big of a thing as it would be here on Earth. Because they kind of just pass it along as it goes where... Uh, on Earth, we mourn for people, we have funerals, we still cry for them later on in life, but it's not that big of a thing for them. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, and also, you know, there's there's different things, like, he, after his wife dies, and so it goes. You know, that's, like, mm-hmm. of course, the, the theme of that. It regards and then, everything. Yeah, and, like, when he's talking about these, these you know... <clears throat> these aliens from a distant planet and he does on the radio show some people some people believe him and then his, his his daughter though she's the one who really like attacks him on it's like you are insane you are mentally unstable yeah. why weren't you talking about these people before the plane crash and that was a big part because he felt like he was kind of like kind of like attacked by his his own daughter about like when something he really believed in yeah and uh that has to be a very crucial part of like his belief system and getting attacked by his own family like that it could be it could be devastating because his belief just crashes down because she's trying to bring it down and it's even more brutal because someone so close to him is uh, attempting to bring it down. Exactly. Um, his time in the service. So he actually went to war. He was a chaplain's assistant. Um, so he didn't carry any weapons on him or anything like mm-hmm. that. He kind of just basically followed around the chaplain and kind of like did a little smaller stuff like chaplain sacraments and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah, exactly. Um, so... Uh, what he did, though, so he wasn't considered very strong, um, and he ended up getting getting lost out mm-hmm. there, and he ended up with a guy named Weary, um, yeah. who is an interesting mm-hmm. character. Yeah, he, uh, Weary's, uh, peculiar to say the least, but definitely written to be pitied, uh, in the chapter. He, uh, after, uh, their capture and the marching, uh, we hear that, uh, Weary is uh, marching along, and he is sobbing because of the terrible pain in his feet. It describes uh, his feet as being... What? Yeah, and there's other things, too. Like, the way he grew up, he was... You know, he, his father was into some weird stuff, some torture devices and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. So, like, he had a bunch of weird weaponry that, like... Billy was like, what the heck is this guy? You know, and yeah. he'd, he'd always, like, say, like, 
do you want to know what this feels like? How would you feel if I did this to you? And like, kind of like leading mm-hmm. them on, you know, which, which, you know, goes into <coughs> later chapters, but it, it's kind of, it kind of all starts right off there, you know, and how he, he does stuff like that. So his friend Weary is definitely a weird character to say the least. Um, and that kind of, I guess, leads, because he gets lost out in the middle of nowhere, so he's got to go, you know, where he's got these friends he calls the Three Musketeers, and it's him and two people who don't really care about him, just yeah. two people that are on the road, and he just kind of stumbled upon them, and so what ends up happening is, you know, they're all traveling together, and Weary's just kind of freaking Billy out a little bit, you know, yeah. Billy needs him, Billy needs this guy, so he's got to maintain that connection well, somehow. Well, the interesting thing about Weary is he... Billy sort of uh, seems to attach himself to him because he's he is freaking uh, Billy out, but at the same time he's a bit of like kind of something to be prepared. scared. Yeah, he's and prepared. he seems better prepared. Yes, yeah. to deal with what they're going through. They're lost. They're afraid, and frankly. Weary could intimidate someone. He thinks that Weary might be able to protect him because it's, as we said earlier, he's a chaplain's assistant. He doesn't carry weapons, and he's not known to be very strong. So he's clinging on to Weary in order to sort of siphon some of that strength for himself. Yeah, exactly. I think that's a big part of it. Um, So we're going to end up going on a commercial break right now. Uh, So we'll see you guys in a little bit uh, for Chapter 3. Remember to always fly with Southwest Airlines. They made it possible for us to fly to, to the locations that we do and to be able to do the podcasts we do because we do them in some of the most glorious places on this earth. Thank you to Southwest. Fly high. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast, um, Life in the Slaughterhouse. We're going to be doing part three, uh, which is going to be pretty much exploring chapter three of this one. Um, so what happens in chapter three is it's the capture, basically. So the big capture. Yeah, the big capture. Exactly. Uh, between, you know, and so in the beginning of the chapter, it starts off different, though, because he's not being captured. He's pretty much being beat up by his own best friend, Weary. Um, Weary kind of gets pissed off about, you know, him saying, you know, just let me go, let me die, just leave me here. You know, he keeps saying that. And, like, you, you have to wonder, like, why does he keep saying that? And I think it's because um, he's so, like, he just wants to die. He doesn't want to be there anymore. He knows he's, like, the worst. He knows he's just letting everyone down. Instead of letting people down, he wants to He to thinks die. that he's the weakest link, and you break off the weakest link, and the rest of the chain can survive. Survive. It'll be reforged, but... Uh... In this case, I think Weary's just sort of trying to keep everything together. He's trying to keep all his ducks in a row and um, make sure he has a can of everything. So, terrible as it is, I think Weary, in this scenario, was just trying to, like, kick the life back into him. He's like, you gotta do this. It's gonna hurt like hell, but come on, get back up. Mm-hmm. He was also pissed about the two soldiers leaving. Yeah. You know, the two soldiers. Um so they, they basically just kind of left him. They were like, you know, you guys are keeping us down. Because Weary was always trying to keep him going. Mm-hmm. And the other two soldiers were like, all right, we're professionals. You guys are just bums. They kind of followed us. Yeah. You're gone. We're, we're, we're going to leave. And then that, that kind of like exploded Weary, and he was done. And that's how mm-hmm. they ended up getting captured yeah. uh, by, the, by the German soldiers. Um, so that, then he went through this journey of, you know, like he had to keep going and like, you know, keep walking through. And they took everything from him and Weary. Yeah. And... The, uh, it's the, uh, scenario with the, uh, corporal, right? Uh, 
He's, <clears throat> he finds uh, Weary's uh, knife, the big one, and he gives it to uh, one of the other soldiers. He's talking about how much he'd like to be able to, like, stick it into his face or, like, tear his face off using the uh, little, like, spikes on it. The triangles, yeah. He wants to, you know, stick it into his throat or into his gut, and he's, like, instilling needless uh, fear and basically demonizing them. Because what they're about to be doing uh, to them is terrible. They're going to have to march through um, awful terrain. They're going to be heading um, into Germany uh, through Luxembourg, I believe it was. And it's going to be incredibly grueling. And he has to sort of make sure that his soldiers are... Like, they don't like the people that they're doing this to. Because if you like the people you're doing this to, you won't be able to stand doing this to them. It basically makes them into a demon, a villain, something that deserves what it's getting. Um, yeah, and, and, you know, he keeps saying, like, how did I get so old? And stuff like that. And, you know, is there any, you know, part of connection through that? So, how did I get so old? He keeps saying that, and that's something his mother said before she died. She's like, how did I get so old? Mm-hmm. You know, in the in the care home. And that was because, you know, she's wondering, like, where did all this time go? And Billy's wondering mm-hmm. that, too. And he's kind of going, but he's when he sleeps, he goes into this imaginary world off in the future, or, yeah. or in the past, or wherever he goes. And that's kind of, you know, that's why he's, you know, he's just kind of wasting his time dreaming <clears throat> away, and that's how he's getting so old. Mm-hmm. By dreaming about the future that he's wasting away his past, kind of. Now, something I found interesting uh, about... Uh, Billy's talk of time is a lot of it seems to be him drifting off or like daydreaming into the past to uh, to think about uh, like the war uh, and war times and very traumatic experiences for him. Um, but uh, the the war uh, and how he drifts off into it it seems to be something akin to. Uh, PTSD of some sort. He's, he's like crying, it's described as, and he basically drifts off into uh, a sleep, like a dream of some sort. And a lot of times with uh, veterans, that is the sort of behavior that happens. They become unenthusiastic and they sink into almost a depression. Yeah, I think that uh, his past is just really problematic for him. Like, he want he... He goes back to the idea of talking about war, but I think in reality he might want to um, take a break from that. He tries to live in the present, but it's like every time that he closes his eyes, he, he just goes back to another memory and all these have different problems that come up. And it, he just he can't really escape this because every time he closes his eyes, it's just... It, it just blacks out, and it's another memory that comes into mind, and he can't really control it. It's like, uh, more in the present, if he just focuses on what's there, and he keeps his eyes open, everything stays normal. Yeah. I think that's a big part of it. Um, <clears throat> also, you know, that, that whole entire journey that he goes to, it, it's like, and all this time traveling, it's like two different journeys he's on, you know, that kind of like mark into one, you know, isn't it? Yeah, I... I'm not really sure that he um, sees any positives in this. Like, uh, he said he's very unenthusiastic about living, and he put um, he put that prayer on his wall to help him with that. And that was, uh, God grant me the serenity to 
accept the things that I cannot change, courage to change the things that I can, and win wisdom to know the difference. I think that might be very helpful to him in his future yeah. since he's so... Uh, yeah, that, that prayer that keeps people going. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's all kind of starting to connect together a little bit. Mm-hmm. All right, thank you guys for listening. Um, all right, folks, that brings us to the conclusion of our podcast tonight. Um, thank you for joining us at Life in the Slaughterhouse, our review of Slaughterhouse-Five. Uh, I'm Graham Heiss. Tim Regan. And Raymond O'Neill. And thank you for joining us. So it goes. Thank you.